This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I am on this WABC AM radio station every Sunday from 2 to 3. I want to tell you that last week, the Harvard presidency job was offered to Obama. He deferred the suggestion. He did not outright reject it. He deferred it. Nobody from Harvard said I was incorrect. Nobody from Barack's office said I was incorrect. So that's all I can tell you. I said it, and nobody has rejected it. Nobody confirmed it, but nobody said I was wrong. In 94, I met the then hotshot law student, Barack. We shared a literary agent. She repped unknown Obama's 1995 book, Dreams of My Father, which sold absolutely no place, 11 copies. They babysat it then, and he became known. The agent's edited, newly reduced version sold all of a sudden like the Bible. Before it had sold 15 copies. Now it went everywhere. His gratitude, he then told me at the time, quote, I am cool. I never sweat. I am never nervous. Turning on the agent professionally and financially, he then went to Clinton's book agent. Now I am telling you that Michelle gave him permission to run for president, and now he is pushing her. The plan is, indictments are to tie Donald up in court, as you have seen. And we are now adding millions of illegals, all of whom could be, in some cases, voters. Obama whose presidency began the far-left, anti-Israel, pro-Iran shift, is back in control. Obama people are White House staffers. High-level polls deny Michelle's candidacy, despite people involved saying it supposedly is first Michelle as a candidate. That's what they are believing in. It's most Michelle who could be a candidate. A survey to several Democratic donors admitted that summer 22, Michelle met top New York City execs saying, quote, I'd like your support. Replacing placeholder Joe was not to be revealed, however, until coming May, which is when he'd be told to drop out. From White House people, not a rumor, Barack told Biden he cannot run, but there will be no announcement until late May. It is timed, so no lame duck too soon. It's no one else. It's just get rid of Joe. Also planned 
is to elect Adam Bullshiff to the Senate, pass his radical left agenda, solidify filibusters, make mail and ballot harvesting a national law, plus other left rules that would favor cheating on elections. So, Obama's wife is possibly scratching to maybe be our next president. Her husband is helping. Pay attention. In this sicko-political environment, semi-VIPs itch to get you to write what they want. Then, for their own political purpose, tell you they, quote, doubt, end quote, what you wrote. These professional doubters have their own political motives. However, some info now comes from, I am told, credible sources few have access to and are usually not meant for the noses of the media. Whatever that means, what is told to us is Hillary and her husband are toxic. Nikki, the old guard, will pee on her. And sore loser laws prohibit candidates running in another party after they lose in their own party. Reportedly, and I'm being told, Obama has polled donors. His plan? Around May, Biden announces he's not running even mentally. The so-called plot is that come the June convention, Michelle gets nominated. The next step? Hunter's father, the temp, drops out just before that convention. For now, he still play-acts like he's a real breathing candidate. Announcing today, our dodo-in-chief would have to stop quacking and become a lame duck. Their plan is currently being tweaked so he knows when to drop out. Understand, it is that squalid squad which is responsible for much of screwed-up Congress. Their mishmash bodes badly for our future. Moderates cannot override the divisiveness. What this nation needs now is a centrist, a strong, tough leader of the majority mass of independent voters. D.C. is now so screwed up that it bodes badly for our country. Fears and thoughts on the dysfunction are not unwarranted. Voters have massive blame on both sides. A jumbled Congress running this greatest nation on earth while promising God that our country tis of thee bodes badly. Republicans split between three groups cannot unify, even when it deals with pointing a damp Biden in the direction of his John. And moderates cannot override anything. USA needs a centrist 
strong, tough, a leader of the independent voter mass that comprises our majority. Mrs. Obama's team has already sent a survey to heavy-duty donors asking how they'd feel about her as the candidate. The process has begun. A VIP doctor in charge of a major hospital called me to say, you must do something. The system is broken. So if you're thinking maybe Nikki Haley, forget it. Even if she used her real first name, Nimarata, plus the name of her parents, Ajit Singh Randhawa and Rajit Kaur Randhawa, even if she doesn't believe anything she says, nothing is going to happen with her. There exists also a new group called No Labels. The assumption is they name some appealing candidate after March 15, whom they are now quietly vetting. Mid-February, we should hear murmurs. America the beautiful, our country tis of what? Listen, I think in all fairness, I should give the other side its say. So, to quote rumors out of the White House, drums are beating that Joe Biden's campaign is finally a little heating up. Of course, it could be because he's carrying a hibachi in his shorts. Okay, I'm now going on to something else, something else that has happened to me that I have to tell you about. Okay, you read in the papers, Denmark just got a new king. You don't care, I don't care. The Swiss only care because they care about clocks and chocolates, nothing else. The Danes maybe care because what else they got to talk about? For me, anything Danish goes with coffee. Who the hell cares about anything else? However, I have had an experience. This new king is 55. He once trained with our SEAL team, who possibly called him Freddy. Ambassador Edward Elson, Clinton's former envoy to Copenhagen, said these majesties get mostly christened Frederick. Anyway, my story begins in 09, because I met him when he was a prince, pre-king. I reported the incident then. I reprise it now, because the guy's a king. You'll see why as I drone on. You ready? Okay. Rich, regal. This freebie royal made like a cheapo Hamptons share guy. He and the missus, who's now a queen, then not, borrowed some New York City apartment. I wouldn't care if they made a and b out of the aquarium, but the flat they commandeered was next door to me. I didn't know, and nobody informed me. So I'm home. I'm wearing some usual schmata decorated with permanent gravy stains. Hair straight from sleep. My face is undone. I have smeared leftover mascara, still left over from the night before, and I'm barefoot. 
my adored Yorkie, five pounds of pure pain in the ass, is in my arm, interested only in peeing. The other hand, I am schlepping a large plastic garbage bag to deposit in the small hallway's trash bin, and not knowing royalty is right next door, outside my own door, I throw open my door and step out. I am face to face, inches with three tall royal bodies, ramrod erect, they are staring at me, a total apparition, in horror. There is him, her, plus an aide. They are all dressed like to be an extra in a Netflix drama. She is in full embroidered hoop skirt ball gown, jewels in places you can't even reach. Her hair is like Marie Antoinette before she lost that head. He is in a full dress uniform, epaulets, medals, gold braid, big belt buckle, and, you ready, a sword at his side. A sword? A Manhattan apartment building and a sword? Okay, New York City may have some crime, but a sword? This is a small hallway. Their aide is in an equal ensemble, awaiting an elevator. This trio stood a tiara away from me, schlepping my greasy garbage bag and my terrier, whose interest then was peeing. Nobody spoke. They stared. They glared. Ramrod stiff. They stood frozen, awaiting the elevator. Not neighborly. I did not invite them in for coffee and a bagel. My job was to lose the garbage bag. I didn't know who the hell they were and why they were there. I figured maybe there's a gala somewhere that nobody invited me to. What happened then was, right, that's part one of the story. Here's part two. Shortly, a few months later, I happened to be in Denmark, Copenhagen. And at the same night, this same prince is throwing some other gala. Obviously, that's what he does. He goes to parties. My friends who were attending said, ah, no problem, they would get me invited. Yeah, forget it. No. His Royal Highness, now a king, didn't even want me in his same country. Meantime, he is right now comfy in a palace with horse-drawn carriages, a motorcade, a balcony to wave from, and this queen whom he met at a bar in Sydney, and you can't get any more regal than that. The country loves him and says what an easygoing, sports-loving, climate-friendly, extremely popular monarch he is. Yeah, great. Okay. But next time, this easygoing, hotshot royal sponge comes to our Big Apple. Let him unload some kroner for a cheapo hotel room so my garbage and my dog can be left alone. Or he can invite me to his party when in my American designer schmata I am dressed better than that misses. Thank you. Now we are coming to a station break. 
and I'm going to give you a great interview right after that. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am about to speak with Lou Dobbs. I personally love Lou Dobbs. Um, whenever I have been in trouble politically, which is always, I, <laughs> I ask Lou and he helps me. But where did you start? Where the hell did a Lou Dobbs begin? Born where? School what? Well, it, it was, uh, it's, a, it's the stuff of legend. And I got to tell you, I love you. And you know that. Deb and I uh, think you are the ultimate ace. And we, uh, we love you to, to, uh, to, the, well, to the stars and back. Uh, uh, born in Childress, Texas. Uh, that's up north Texas. Uh, it's nearest, I guess, big city, Lubbock. And uh, I went to school in uh, uh, Rupert, Idaho. And, uh, Graduated from high school there, then went to Harvard, and then um, you know the rest is history, as they say. I went to work for seventy-five dollars a week as the police and fire reporter for KBLU TV and radio in Yuma, Arizona, and the rest, well, <laughs> it's history, uh, checkered history maybe, but it's history, uh, and that's the the, okay. the the beginning. What kind of a lousy student were you? I was a lousy student. I was a terrible student. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did would, you major in? What were you good in? I, I was, I was. Well, I majored in economics, and I've been pretty, pretty fair at that. Uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, I get a kick out of that. Uh, I loved economics because I was a poor kid, and so any anything to do with money, I was always fascinated with because I knew so little about it. Uh, so I decided to major in economics. Later, I was uh, covering the, you know, the city councils and the budgets. And, and you know, it turned out to be a pretty good decision because uh, uh, I got to cover all of the stories that uh, other reporters didn't find interesting. And uh, neither did the audience in many cases. But uh, for me, I always liked it. And that turned out to be a, a pretty, pretty darn good, fortunate, lucky uh, career guess on my part. Well, it certainly helped you economically because you have this gigantic place out in New Jersey. You have animals. You have everything. So you're doing pretty well. Tell me about the parents. What what were they or what, what were they like? Where did they come from? Uh, they came from Texas, and they uh, uh, <laughs> and they uh, were both uh, worked throughout uh, throughout their lives. Uh, uh, the uh, my mother was a bookkeeper uh, for a furniture store. My father ran a uh, a small propane business, uh, bottled gas, um, propane, butane, uh, and uh, and we were middle class, working class to middle class, I guess is what you would call us. Uh, and uh, in this small community I I grew up in, you know, I didn't know the difference between being poor and rich because really. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it was just, uh, you know, I worked on farms. I had my own business, by the way, and uh, in high school with the, some partners. We contract hauled hay uh, for the, some of the big farms, including J.R. Simplot's uh, operation there. Uh, and we got a nickel of bail, and boy, were we big shots. <laughs> we were. <laughs> hot shot, hot shot. We, oh, man, we were. And we had more fun. We worked from 3 in the morning. Well, we got yeah. up at three in the morning, and then we were on the job by three thirty, four, and uh, we worked, uh, you know, uh, through till about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, 
obviously during the spring, summer, and fall. But um, we uh, we did pretty well for ourselves, and uh, and we loved it. And it was a it was a great time uh, in in both the country, uh, uh, in our community, uh, and uh, for our little gang of folks uh, who were you know we were knocking on the door of uh, uh, making the, as much money as a as a grown man. That was sort of the standard, and we did that. And then I got uh, fortunate enough to get a uh, scholarship to Harvard, and uh, and there I got to see. <laughs> I didn't even know where Harvard was, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but and I had been, uh, you know, getting. I got on a train, uh, you know, out east of uh, uh, this little town, Rupert, I, uh, Menadoka. Waited out. My father and I took the. He, he dropped me off at his pickup truck. And I had, I think, one suitcase, as I recall it, you know, memory being what it is, but I think it was one suitcase. And uh, my Acme boots and my, uh, uh, you know, my blue jeans, and I was on my way. Uh, so and, and back to Cambridge, Massachusetts. I had never seen uh, anything, well, any farther east than uh, Denver, Colorado. That was a big, that was my big venture, but uh, to cross the Mississippi and head up uh, and the Missouri uh, to head up by train, then to to Boston. It was just a great uh, a great moment, and, you know. And that's where you know the, the, suddenly I was no longer a Westerner; I was an Easterner. Well, you sound Eastern. Thank God you don't sound Western. How did you? How did <laughs> Wait you? A minute. Wait a minute. Oh, listen, listen. It's my show, so you have to let me okay. talk. Okay. Okay. So, how did you? What was your first? Your first job as a as an anchor or as a, a controversial person. How did you start your first? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the way I started was at UMA Arizona, really, uh, and uh, I I was seriously making a uh, seventy five bucks a week to do police. I'd get up at four in the morning uh, and go around to the police department, the fire department, the sheriff's office, uh, the border patrol. And and start looking up police reports and the reports overnight. I had a scanner in my car, and man, was I cool! Uh, I was listening every uh, until I fell asleep uh, each evening. Uh, I was listening hard to that scanner to see what was happening and where you know news was breaking. And uh, it was it was just uh, the most uh, exhilarating time. And I've done a lot of things in my career, but what an exhilarating time for a, a young reporter! To get a get a chance to do all of that and to see all of that, uh, it was uh, a remarkable time. Which uh, you know, uh, I'm very fortunate to, to have had the childhood I had, the uh, the young uh, adulthood that I had. You've been fortunate because you're very talented. Every everybody knows Lou Dobbs. How can you be on everything? It's like crabgrass. If I turn to <laughs> CNN, you were on it. If I turn to something else, you were on it. Lou Dobbs tonight. You're to Lou Dobbs this morning. Lou Dobbs this afternoon. Lou Dobbs over tea. Lou Dobbs while you're peeing. It doesn't matter what the hell it is. It's Lou Dobbs. You've been on everything. How is that possible? Well, um, you know, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of energy, uh, and the fact is, I've been very fortunate for uh, people. Uh, you know, and I'll include John uh, John Katsimatidis in that as well. Our uh, both of our uh, bosses there at uh, WABC. Uh, you know, he just reached out and said, "What do you think of doing it?" Uh, and uh, you know, by the way, I one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I love you, is 
I have never been called crabgrass before. In my Listen, life. it's a first. I've been called. It's a first. <laughs> I've been called phonetic variations. Listen, on it's, that, I have such talent. Forget it. It's a you first. You do have amazing. Yeah, and talent. most people hang up on me because of my great talent. But right, right now, to your point, I'm I'm working for uh, Mike Lindell on Lindell TV with a new TV show. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm the WABC. I've got a podcast, The Great America Show. Uh, having great fun with all of that uh, and who you know I, I'm one of those guys who's always wanted to be in the arena uh, you know I take a, a lot of hits but I also give out a few uh, so I think I'm about even right now in the public arena maybe a little ahead uh, but it's a it's a hoot and I'm very privileged and I know that what TV when you're relaxed at home with your animals and your beautiful wife what TV do you watch you want to know? That? I have to tell you the truth, don't I? My wife and I are watching Young Sheldon. Uh, what? <laughs> what? I'm going to hang up on you. I'm going to hang up on you. Even Young Sheldon doesn't watch Young Sheldon. Oh, oh I know. That's I, we, crap. Pardon the expression. It may be, but you know, it is some of the most entertaining uh, oh, crap. And by the way, it's set in Texas, oh, so please. you know, oh, yeah, well, watch please. that crap stuff. Come oh, on. Okay, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> I got to go on to something else. I'm going to get nauseous. Nobody I'm, I know I'm watches sorry. Young Sheldon. I'm young sorry. Sheldon doesn't watch Young Sheldon. Okay, let's go to serious stuff that I really need to pick your brain. Tell right. me what you would like to say about the coming election. That it is no cliche to say that it is an existential election. Uh, this country's future rides on it. The republic, is, uh, the republic is riding on the outcome. And there won't be a second chance. This is our last chance uh, to get it right. And God has provided uh, a second opportunity. And we sure to heck better uh, avail ourselves of it. Because we cannot continue as a nation pretending that a, a, a compromised, impaired, cognitively impaired uh, president uh, is actually making decisions and ignore the reality that is somebody else is making these decisions, a, a, a group, a council, a cabal, whatever you would like to call it, of, of pure Marxists uh, and the same Marxist Dems that have taken over the Democrat Party. Uh, this is a we are a nation right now where we can't even explain why we have a 2,000 mile long border that this president turned over to the Mexican drug cartels. Uh, how do you explain that uh, to the country while at the same time insisting that the TSA carefully inspect everyone flying on an aircraft, but every, <laughs> yes, every yes, terrorist yes. in the world can yes. walk through the door yes, yes. that is wide open on the southern border, the cartel border, we call it. Well, you know, I don't have your wisdom, and you're absolutely correct. I agree with absolutely everything you say, which I won't the minute I hang up. But at the moment, <laughs> at the moment, I've, have you ever been wrong? Have you oh. ever pushed something and it hasn't worked out? Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad you asked me that instead of my uh, my wife. But uh, so it's easy for me to say no. I've been okay, flawless okay, in my okay. life. I have yeah. been absolutely perfect. I have never made a bad no. We got business that. Okay. Or investment okay. Decision. Forget it. Let's go on to other things. Have you ever been wrong? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I I'm pleased to say not often. Uh, I wish I could also say never in a in a matter uh, so large that it uh, you know. Uh, 
carried uh, through the the lives of my uh, of my uh, life, but uh, the years of my life, it's it just. Uh, the truth is, I've been very lucky, and I no one knows it, and I've been very blessed. Uh, let's be very straightforward about it, uh, because I think everyone who does have some measure of success has to be honest. Uh, they're blessed. Uh, they are uh, lucky as they can be, uh, in my opinion. I've never seen too many exceptions to that. True geniuses, I guess you could say, you know, their their destiny is uh, preordained, but uh, certainly mine wasn't, and almost inexplicable, uh, you know, the travel uh, through the years uh, to get to where I am today, and that is, you know, expressing my views, my opinions, uh, and hopefully supporting the values and and the the notions of the working men and women in this country and the middle class, uh, for whom I have. Uh, uh, great respect, and uh, uh, that's my focus, uh, is trying to preserve the American dream, not all by myself, but wherever my voice can be heard, I want that to ring loud and clear, that I'm a populist, I'm proud of it, because populist means people, uh, and I'm for the people, so that makes me a populist, and anybody who doesn't like populists doesn't like people, uh, it's that straightforward. And to see the elites gather in Davos, I, I, Cindy, the idea of flying into Davos with a bunch of oligarchs and, and by the way, I was amongst the first people to go to, certainly journalists to go to, to Davos. Uh, and I've seen what it was, I saw when it was, what it was becoming. I, you know, my wife and kids went with me. Uh, I just wanted out of there because the altitude had nothing to do with it. It was the rarefied arrogance of the elites that were meeting there, whether they be government yeah, officials yeah, or yeah, corporate CEOs, it yeah, was yeah. disgusting. And what we see now is not only disgusting, but abhorrent and uh, a real threat against uh, traditional American values and what it means to be uh, both America and Americans. I've been to Davos, so I understand that. I also have an enormous, huge love for my country like you do. I would like to know what the hell is going to happen to my country. Well, I, I can tell you more uh, what my hopes are for this country. Uh, I, not, I don't think any of us can predict the outcome. I wish I could. I wish I felt confident and comfortable suggesting that uh, reason would prevail uh, and, the, and love of country would prevail. Uh, patriotism and a commitment to uh, the founding values of this uh, of this nation. Uh, so I think the best I can do is pray and tell you what I hope. Uh, and what I hope is that the country comes to terms, as it appears to be doing right now, comes to terms with the reality that the Democrat Party has become something uh, uh, alien and malignant. Uh, and operating in every way against the interest of the United States as we've known it. That is, as a, a constitutional republic, as a nation that was built on independence and freedom and liberty for all, and, and made as a matter of principle uh, the, the insistence that every American, every single American, and I don't want to get into whatever the uh, demographics are, the race or the, uh, all of that. Every American, unconditionally, has an equal opportunity to use his God-given talents or her God-given talents and gifts 
and energy to, to better themselves and their families. But that is not what we have today. We have a nation that has been overwhelmed by these Marxists, uh, and people want to argue about Marxism, rather pre- they want to call themselves progressives or liberals uh, or uh, Democrats. Uh, I agree with you. Go, 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 they, go. They are Marxists. And every vote yes, for a Democrat yes. is a vote for Marxism in this country. And Marxism will be the death of this country. Uh, we are still at a point where we can resuscitate. We can still recover. But we will have to do more than just uh, sit, uh, sit with our jaws slack as we watch what is, observe what is happening without, without our participation. There is a requirement for all of us to be participatory uh, in this great democracy of ours. And to, and frankly, to have a media unlike these corporate uh, uh, oligarch-owned media outlets, whether we're talking about ABC News, whether we're talking about CNN or any cable network or the New York Times or the Washington Post or the defunct uh, L.A. Times, the left-wing rag that it yeah, is. Yeah. I, I mean, we have to have voices that will cry BS when they're being BSed. And understand, there was a time journalism was about speaking truth to power. Uh, these fools in our national media right now are simply, uh, you know, they have their tongues out panting for further orders from their betters uh, in the I agree. federal I agree. government. I agree. I lack your erudition when it comes to politics, so I can't argue with you. I don't argue with you. I agree with absolutely every breath you're taking. I I don't believe, I'm, I'm almost fearful that our country will survive. I truly don't know that we can. Right. It's sliding. It is sliding. The, the President Trump, there was a, obviously a massive backlash from the left when he said the country is in decline. Really? No one wants to, really wants to take that side of the issue? We're watching this economy right now in extremis. It has, we have a $34 trillion dollar. Uh, 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 national debt. We have $2 trillion national debts, uh, deficits. The U.S. government with a $2 trillion deficit, we spend a trillion dollars just to service the debt we're in. This is madness. And yet it goes on. We have a Speaker of the House who has no idea who he is, what he's doing, or how to do it. Uh, And yet he was elected by the conference. And now the conference is saying, you know, this guy is an idiot. Yes, he's an idiot. He's also betraying everyone in the conference and ba- betraying everything that's been said of him about his background, his faith. Uh, it's it's a disgusting situation. And the alternative right now is Hakeem Jeffries, <laughs> leader of the Marxist. Uh, please, please, uh, please, Dems, please, please. Uh, in the please. House of Representatives. Please. Or you can, or you take one of my favorites, good old Chuck Schumer. There's a slick one, I tell you. Uh, this is this is monstrous what we're seeing. A five-four decision, really, from the Supreme Court. I used to say the Supreme Court was the only refuge from corruption, political corruption, in the entire federal judiciary. That's not true. They are now politically corrupt. Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, my gosh, what, what in the world is she thinking? Who has she become? Judge, Chief Justice John Roberts. You know what they both share? They both share, uh, they both adopted two children from overseas. Uh, Haiti uh, for uh, Barrett. Uh, and, and 
and Ireland uh, for, for Roberts. And, and I think somehow it, that compromises them in some way because they have a soft spot for foreign-born children. And I understand it. That's fine. But what we're witnessing in, is their corruption politically and, and an indifference to the interest of the United States. When you say to the federal government you've got the right to not defend the United States because that is the decision that they made. And they didn't even write, by the way, an opinion because they're so arrogant. They just simply handed down a 5-4 decision and expected Governor Greg Abbott of Texas to just, uh, you know, wag his tail like a dog and say, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, we're going to do what you say. That's your crappy state. That was your crappy state. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it's a great (laughs) state now because you know what? Greg Abbott told him to go to hell. And uh, he is standing up. And he is he understands that the fourth uh, uh, article four of the Constitution says very clearly that the uh, states have a right to defend themselves and that there is an invasion clause that uh, uh, protects them and they have a right to defend themselves. And he's doing it. And I say hats off to Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas. Hallelujah. I think the problem is you have no opinions. That's the thing. That's the real problem. You can't express yourself. I have noticed that over <laughs> over many, many years. So, I, I mean, I almost don't even want to talk to you anymore. Okay. However, however, tell me about the migrants. Uh, the migrants? Yes. I... <laughs> Yes. Tell you me mean you the illegal not... immigrants? Yeah. Uh, you know, migrants yes. I take is le- is legally uh, we've invited in. We know who they are, what they can do. We know what their background is. We know their uh, ideology, and we can make a judgment about their contribution to our society. And we do so to the tune of a million a year. Uh, but uh, the elites in Davos and other capitals around the world, including uh, uh, you know, the, the capitals of Venezuela and, of course, oh. Cuba and uh, really China. Charm- yeah, okay. And so it goes. Those are not migrants. Those are invaders. Uh, this is an invasion. Cindy, we're talking about... <laughs> I mean, they came out with a number from the administration the other day that there have been six million illegal immigrants brought into this country since uh, Joe Biden took office. Uh, that's preposterous. The the real estimates by those who are following this carefully, and I'm talking about mostly former Border Patrol officials, top officials, they estimate the number at between 10 and 12 million illegal immigrants brought into this country. And people don't even know what they're doing, where they are, what community they were sent to, because they're shipped out in buses and aircraft, private charters, both buses and aircraft, to places, who knows? And it's being run by NGOs for, quote-unquote, refugees. These are not refugees. These are invaders. And most of them are military-age males coming across that southern border under... I mean, my wife and I have watched a bus of young men file off of a a white bus that didn't have a single stitch of numbers or names of companies or anything to go into a, a, a truck stop. And and file away, and all of them military age. They were in a absolute perfect file going in, as if they had rehearsed it a million times. Then I got to thinking that's probably military training right there. And no one has the daggum judgment to say why are only military age males coming into this country by the millions, and where are the women and the children, and what kind of man does that, and what kind of people allow their their border to go unprotected and to allow 10 million illegal immigrants into this country without knowing a thing about them while pretending 
with their TSA and with their FBI. Um, all of this that we spend to protect the nation, and we are letting 10 million people we don't know a darn thing about. Uh, we're geniuses. And this, this president uh, is oh, an abject, oh. you know, he's a puppet. And he does what he's told. And what he's told, those orders come primarily, I believe, from Beijing, uh, as well as the Marxists who surround him domestically. There is just not a single policy anybody can name that has been in the interest of the United States or the American people uh, initiated by this president. There are, when you look at, look at that border, Joe Biden, the big guy who's taken 10% from China, what's he taking from the Mexican drug cartels? I mean, what is what does he take? I mean, what is it? What is yes. the price to give up 2000 miles of border and let sex trafficking run rampant to let uh, the illegal smuggling of illegal immigrants just rampant across that border? Uh, what what are we to do? Uh, and no one wants to talk sense in the national media. All they want to do is keep spewing propaganda. And this and this administration. It's a source of three types of information that you'll notice. They have misinformation, they have disinformation, and they have no information. And they have chosen the very perfect avatar for that kind of information uh, in uh, KGP, uh, KJP, uh, you know, Corinne Jean-Pierre. Uh, I mean, she's, it's laughable. She just looks at everybody and says, I don't know. And, and then I'm expecting the White House press corps to applaud. Uh, it's pitiful. Then they file dutifully their little stories of, that of pablum and propaganda, and the American people are supposed to consume it. And, you know, really, uh, people are wondering why newspapers are folding uh, rapidly in this country, why news organizations are, have the lowest ratings they've had in years. It's because the American people are sick of the, of the game that's being played. Uh, this, you know, we're not, uh, the American people are, are not, we're not mushrooms. Don't put us in the dark. Don't keep us in the dark and quit throwing that BS over us. Okay. We're done. We're done. We've got to be done or we're going to be done as a nation. Okay. Now, do you, like I, do you talk to Donald? Uh, I do on occasion. Yes. Okay. What would you maybe say to him now? Oh, I, right now, I would just, uh, you know, I'd say hallelujah, brother. Uh, Mr. President, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, okay. You're our last and best hope. Okay, because I am planning to maybe make a phone call also. I would like to ask you, since I am limited electronically, can mm -hmm. you tell me what the hell AI could do to our future elections? <laughs> I am glad you've asked me because yes. I'm, an, I, I'm an extraordinary technological genius here no, with a tremendous no, background. I, I, understand I, I have to tell you, I, I know what I, I've, I've reached an age where I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I'm waiting for somebody to explain AI. Well, first of all, I'm waiting for somebody to explain the Internet to me. But, <laughs> but uh, once, uh, once I uh, master that, I would like to get into AI. You know, the best I can figure is uh, it's the future. But like the future itself, uh, it's indeterminate, it's amorphous, uh, and little understood. And I'm not, I'm not sure even the brightest people who are actually working on this have a full appreciation for uh, its shape, its form, 
uh, and its uh, its potentialities, uh, because there's an argument amongst them whether it's a, it's good for uh, for humanity or whether. And then there's the additional ar- argument: uh, is there a future for humanity itself? Uh, each of these questions is uh, beyond me uh, in terms of answering them. Uh, but I, I can tell you this, uh, we have to have some leaders uh, who give us at least the rock-solid foundation that we know what country we're living in, we know who we are and what we are. Can they and, not manufacture votes? Uh, AI? Yeah. Well, we, we've watched, we watched the election of 2020. Everybody knows that the votes were manufactured by the, by the uh, intelligence okay. agencies okay. and, okay. you know, the Democratic okay. Party. Uh, And look at the Georgia case going on right now. So we're talking four, almost four years after the 2020 election, and they now have discovered electronic voting machines can be hacked by a professor with a with one writing pin in hand. Yes, yes, yes. And there it is. We're still asking questions because our government wouldn't give us answers. No one investigated the 2020 election. Anyone in authority. Okay. So now I have another little question. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what you think of Harvard since you went there. Mm-hmm. I love your little questions. I start yes, sweating I... the moment you say that. Yes. Uh, I, and properly, uh, we, we've got family members who've, you know, we, our family's got four or five folks who went to Harvard. Uh, I am sickened to my gut. Uh, and what uh, the Harvard Corporation, that is the the board overseeing uh, the institution with a $50 billion endowment, uh, has done in inculcating the the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, uh, in that university, and in doing so in a far more pervasive, uh, ex- to a far more pervasive extent than I had any idea. But when somebody has to hesitate as... Uh, Claudine Gay did before that uh, congressional oh, I, hearing I, in Washington, uh, whether it is genocide, whether it is appropriate, uh, whether the extermination of the, the Jewish state uh, and the Israelis makes sense and is uh, you know, something that you can tolerate. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sick into my my stomach. And then to lie about her plagiarization, uh, to lie about her bigotry, uh, to, uh, to find out that this the university is now not about meritocracy, but about diversity, uh, about a racial preference. Uh, I'm sickened, and I'm sickened that the university's management uh, has not responded with greater force. I want to give great credit to Christopher Rufo, who is a terrific journalist. I also want, to, amongst others, Bill Ackman, uh, who has done much to yeah, change yeah, uh, the direction yeah. where Harvard was headed. So, uh, no, I'm I'm just gut sick at the at what the institution has become. Okay. I would like everyone to know, in case they didn't know, of course they will know, they're, they're tuned to WABC, but that the Lou Dobbs show, which is so hot and so successful, follows mine. And I very much enjoyed listening to Lou Dobbs, and maybe if he will have me, I will be on with him in the future. I have loved Lou Dobbs. I am a worshiper, and I am very grateful that he came on. Now tell me, have you ever birthed a horse? You got horses. <laughs> we do have her. Did you say burp one? Well, I went no, from we, one thing uh, to another. I'm flexible. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm flexible. Uh, Go well, ahead. We, we spend most of our time uh, birthing foals uh, rather than burping horses. Uh, we have it's one of the most enjoyable, if not the most enjoyable thing about uh, breeding horses is uh, helping uh, the the mare bring uh, bring that foal to life. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a joy, uh, as uh, you know. I think uh, you know all of life offers that opportunity, but there's special moments, and that, that those are our special moments that we uh, we, we get to to enjoy. We consider it a, okay. a great privilege. Okay, I have I have a feeling you've had enough of me, and you're winding down. I'm flexible, so I'm going to let you go. And thank you, thank you, thank you, wildly and maniacally, for coming on. I love you. I love you, Lou. I love you, Cindy, and thanks so much. And uh, look forward to talking with you on uh, on my show one of these days. I will uh, do. Appreciate that. it. And by the way, dinner's thanks. on us. Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. In that case, I'm definitely going to see you. Okay? Okay. Take care.